Hi, I'm John. And I am Jared. And I'm Brian. And welcome to Citrus Church's Vital Conversations podcast. This is episode one, and this is recorded in June 2021. So this is Pride Month. And businesses, celebrities, individuals, I'm sure you've seen it on social media, have all changed their backgrounds to various rainbow colors. So for people of faith, we want to talk about why June and Pride are important to us. So today we're talking about Pride Month and the church. We've got a desire to create space for conversations around social issues to better inform and inspire people to live their faith in ways that actually help change the world. So we're going to start off with a couple of questions. We hope to kind of keep this conversational. So we thank you for joining our conversation. We're going to begin with just really setting a baseline for this. Uh, We see Pride as it is today, but we want to talk about where Pride Month came from, why it's in June. Uh, It reminded me last week in worship, I saw that John was wearing a shirt that said the first Pride was a riot. And it reminded me that last year, until I stopped and looked it up, I had no idea why Pride was in June, if there was even a reason the date was picked. And I honestly didn't know anything about the history of it. And so that took me on a a journey online of learning about Stonewall, um, about the police raids that happened late in June. But, John, do you want to give us a history of what that looked like? Yeah. So, as you mentioned, Brian, um, the the pride that we celebrate today commemorates the Stonewall riots that happened in June of 1969. A common practice in those days uh, was for police officers to raid uh, gay clubs pretty regularly. Um, oftentimes, those police officers would be on payroll uh, of the of the club to ensure that they didn't raid during peak times. However, on June 28th of 1969, the police decided to raid the stone, the club Stonewall in New York City, and it was peak time on the weekend, so it was really busy. Not only was it really busy because it was the weekend, um, because it was late into the night, but also... Um, the community had uh, just experienced the death of Judy Garland. She had passed away earlier that day, and so a lot of them were in mourning and um, very emotional as well. So the police do enter Stonewall. They raid um, anyone who's wearing uh, fewer than three pieces of clothing assigned to their gender is arrested. Um, the oftentimes people who were in the club, their identities were posted in the newspaper, um, outing them to the community. So, um, obviously even more emotion is happening. The first, uh, trans person of color who was put into the police wagon actually pushed back Mm. on the police officer. It's not sure why, Uh, They just know that she pushed back, the police officer stumbled, and that gave everyone the momentum they needed to begin to fight back. Mm -hmm. And these raids lasted for a couple of days um, as police for a while were kind of held up in the bar and couldn't get out. Um, uh, And and, uh, when they finally did get out, the, the queer people of color and queer youth who uh, had been in the bar um, would play games, like come up behind them and uh, antagonize 
and then another group would come up from behind them the other way and antagonize. So this went on for a couple of days, like I said. Um, this is important to remember um, in the church because, as I mentioned, these were mostly queer people of color. These were the most marginalized people in the bar who were um, standing up and, and taking a stand for their rights. And we, as a church, if we believe that God is on the side of the most marginalized, we should understand that their liberation is important, their safety and freedom is important, and uh, be on the side of that as well. Also, if we truly believe that when God created the world and looked at it in all of its diversity and said, this is very good, that it is actually very good. And we should be celebrating along our siblings who are celebrating who they were created to be. So I have a question. So just to like clarify, these raids weren't something that just started. This had been like an ongoing thing, say, I don't know how far back they maybe went, but this was something like ongoing through the 60s. It's not something that just started in 1969, right? Right. Yes. This has been going on for actually decades. Um, gay bars started showing up in the in the 20s, the roaring 20s. So um, you'll find that largely because the homosexuality was recognized as a mental illness at the time, um, uh forces and power could get away with a, with a lot of marginalization that wouldn't be accepted today. And actually, I think that the Stonewall Riots helped to create a community in which that was moved as a DSM diagnosis. And for those who don't know, the DSM is kind of the, the guidebook for psychologists and for those of what is kind of labeled as a mental illness or not. And so that has been removed from there. It was removed actually in the early 70s, and okay. so that's why I think it's probably directly tied to what happened in 1969. And so I, I noticed this, we talked about this a little bit too, that this year, um, I asked, we were talking about this before the podcast started, that this year on the typical rainbow flag that you see, there's been an additional triangle usually on the left, uh, and it includes some other colors. And what the colors are that are on there are um, a couple of stripes for transgender, and then uh, additional black and brown stripes. Yeah, so the black and brown stripes are... Uh, to recognize our siblings who are people of color, knowing that their voices need to be elevated. Um, you'll also see, as you mentioned, the trans colors, which are blue, pink, and white, mm -hmm. to recognize that our trans siblings are also significantly more marginalized than members of the other members of the LGBTQ community. And so we want to elevate those voices. We want to create space where they are also um, welcomed and celebrated and valued. I think it's um, helpful as we think about this in terms of people of faith, too. Like you said, John, anytime I think about the people that Jesus interacted with in the Bible, it seems like we've kind of made a lot of the classes of people that Jesus interacts with somewhat, somehow we've made them socially acceptable in ourselves so that we don't see Jesus interacting with someone who was ill or someone who was sick or um, maybe someone who, maybe a woman who was forced into prostitution because that was the only career you could take if maybe your husband passed away. And we've kind of begun to look at these and say, oh, well, well, this is just Jesus caring for people. And it's very important for us as people of faith to understand that these were the most marginalized of the marginalized. And so we can't um, whitewash is a good word for that, their stories, because then that's when we miss the power of Jesus really um, crossing boundaries to include all of God's creation and to make space for all of them. 
and, and those becoming the first people in the church. Yeah, and you made an interesting connection that I don't think you meant to make. When we look at um, the population who led the Stonewall riots, like I said, these were um, queer and trans people of color, young people who had run away from their homes. Um, a lot of them lived on the streets and also uh, may have been sex workers to mm. m make ends meet and, and be able to eat uh, day to day. So um, we talk about how Jesus sat with sex workers and um, had meals with them. That community was also present at Stonewall. Mm. Uh, we, we, we brushed quickly over the story of Rahab. Uh, mm -hmm. And in Matthew chapter one, Rahab shows up in the genealogy, which is really ought to catch us off guard. And, and we use the word prostitute that's somewhat more friendlier. But if we were to change it to sex worker, maybe that helps us to begin to see others in the way that God sees others, too. Well, well as a church, this has been important to us. I don't think I have to tell any of our listeners that uh, the church and the LGBTQ community um, have probably been at odds for the majority of our existence. Um, and and the church taking a very antagonistic approach, um, a very exclusionary approach. And so a lot of churches are beginning to relook at that. United Methodist Church is in the process of relooking at that as a United Methodist Church. Um, but for Citrus, from the beginning, it was important for us to be a place that was open and affirming to the LGBTQ community. Um, and one of the things that happened during the pandemic that I would say was good, actually this was a little bit pre-pandemic, wasn't it? Uh, we, we did a book study. There was a community of, of folks here at Citrus who were interested in learning more. And they may say something like, I, under, you know, I, have, a, I have a friend who's gay or I have a friend um, who's trans or, or I want to learn more or I've got questions or how do I mesh this with my faith? Um, and Matthew Vines has done a terrific job with a book called God and the Gay Christian. That was one of the first books I read that helped me to see things differently. Um, and that, that group began to, as they read the book, put together a statement that would really say to our community, this is what we're about. Um, so I thought if it was okay, I'd share that statement with our podcast crew. We pulled parts of this from other places too. One from the Reconciling Ministries Network, we'll mention them again. But we also added some pieces on the end. So it says, we celebrate God's gift of diversity and value the wholeness made possible in community equally shared and shepherded by all. We welcome and affirm people of every gender identity gender expression, and sexual orientation, who are also of every race, sorry, every age, race, ethnicity, physical and mental ability, level of education, and family structure, and of every economic, immigration, marital, and social status, and so much more. We acknowledge that we live in a world of profound social, economic, and political inequities. As followers of Jesus, we commit ourselves to the pursuit of justice and pledge to stand in solidarity with all who are marginalized and oppressed. Together, we're a more complete vision of the family of God. Uh, what does that phrase kind of evoke in your minds? I guess I'll go first. So, how long have I been at Citrus? Two and a half years? Three years? Uh, two and a half, yeah, because you started when you started. So, what I've, I guess, picked up from Brian and what I've kind of paid more attention to over this time is that when you talk to people about certain issues, especially other Christians, they have no idea. They have no problem telling you like what the Bible says. But I've also noticed they also miss what the Bible also <laughs> says, because um, you know people have no problem saying, "Oh, this is wrong, and that's wrong, and this is wrong, and the Bible says this, and the Bible says that." But we also see, like we said earlier, Jesus sat with the 
marginalized in society. Jesus said, love others as we love ourselves. He didn't say like ostracize or judge. And I think he also says like judging is just as bad as like lying in every other sin. So what I've kind of learned from Citrus Church and kind of gather from that statement is our purpose is to go out and love one another, not marginalize, not judge, nothing along those lines. Mm-hmm. So that's what I get from it. But John, what about you? Well, I think that was really well said. Um, I, If you know me, you've heard a little bit of my journey. I, When I came out, I um, was kicked out of the school that I went to. I was fired from my job in a church. Um, I'd pretty much lost all of my community. And so it wasn't until I came out that I really understood what it meant to be marginalized, what it meant uh, to be subjugated by community, what it meant to be ostracized um, and really cut off from everything that you know. Um, So when I approach a church these days, I have to wear um, special protective equipment mm. when I walk in. I want to. I have to make sure that it's safe before I let people in. And so it takes a while for me uh, to fully open up, to fully connect with the community um, because I have to test the waters so much. Um, so when I read this statement, Um, What I know automatically is that this is a safe place for me. Uh, I can come here and be myself uh, and be able to connect with the community in a real way, be able to connect with family. So now that this statement's been created, I know that my uh, other LGBTQ siblings, other people of color, people who experience... um, living with disabilities, people from all socioeconomic backgrounds also know that they have a safe place here. Martin Luther King was quoted as saying, you know, until all of us experience liberation, none of us experience liberation. That's not a direct quote, um, but it's pretty close. And so I think that the more freedom to be yourself that we can create in our, in our faith communities the closer uh, we can get to a vision of heaven. And I think that's what that statement brings up for me. Yeah. And when you say that, I want to connect this back to scripture too. The vision of heaven we see in Revelation, we shared this on Sunday, is this idea of all persons gathering together in worship of God. Um, And to any extent that we draw lines to say, well, it's these and not those, we're really cutting back on who God intends to be in that space. For me personally, this isn't always the place that I've been in my faith journey. I was kind of brought up in a more, when I became a Christian, I was a part of a church that was much more um, conservative and did not believe that a person who was gay could be a part of it, right? That was very clear. Um, And so this journey for me happened because of Pulse and me needing to think about looking at how have I missed the boat? I need to maybe learn some new things. I need to push myself as a disciple. And I came to realize that there was a lot that was written out there and I just never been introduced to it because a lot of the sources I'd been given were kind of from one side of the conversation. Um, and so I think a lot of this includes listening to other voices. So when I read a statement like this, or when I talk to a fellow believer who's saying, I don't know, I've been taught something different, or I'm not sure where I stand on that. I invite people to look at a statement like the inclusion statement and say, find someone that you know, in this statement, find someone for whom this describes. Mm. A brother, a cousin, a coworker, a friend, a parent, um, <laughs> perhaps even themselves, 
and say, read it from their perspective. Do you want to have a church where they can live fully as a disciple of Jesus? And that was a turning point for me to realize that myself as a, as a white male had a lot of equal opportunity in the church. But for a lot of folks listed in this particular statement, um, the church hasn't been a welcoming place for them. And can we make it more like that? And I think for some, that can be the first step into discovering um, more. And I, I can take it from this perspective, too. Uh, we've talked about uh, able-bodied in this and disabled. And churches will say, we're open and welcoming to all. And someone comes up in a wheelchair and we realized, oh, well, we don't actually have any accessible entrances. So we want all, but we haven't really done that or haven't thought through what that looks like. Uh, when we started the movie theater, we had to make sure that every entrance was accessible all the way to the point of full participation in worship for someone who would come in, come in in a wheelchair. And so I think these can help us to begin to look much further than our own experience. I think, you know, what, what you're getting at is that there are people in our communities who are missing and why are they missing? Is what we offer accessible to them? Um, who is missing from the table and how can we make sure they have a space? Yes. Now, I want to bring this into reality because, as I said, we're a United Methodist Church. And while myself as the pastor and our church council leadership and um, our community really lives into this and wants to be a church that's open to all, we recognize that we are part of the United Methodist Church, which as a system is not open to all. So um, at this point in time, someone who is gay or in the LGBTQ community can't become fully ordained. Uh, while we as a church could include them fully in the life of the church in terms of baptism, in terms of their children being baptized, in terms of full involvement in any level, there is still a ceiling on the participation. Our hope is that in the upcoming general conference, uh, tentatively scheduled for next year in 2022, that that begins to change. But I think it's important for us to say that while we are projecting full openness, we do want to recognize that as an institution, we're not there yet um, because the history of the church has been one where there is that bait and switch sometimes. And we say one thing and you get another. So it's helpful for us to be transparent on that. One of the things we want to do on this podcast is offer some next steps. If you say, well, I want to learn more. I want to jump in. I want to dig in more on my own about that. So we've compiled a couple of resources. The first one we mentioned is a book by Matthew Vines. Uh, it's actually a very easy and accessible read um, for persons of faith or someone outside the faith. It's called God and the Gay Christian. You can find it on Amazon. We don't make any money. There's no affiliate link here. Um, Matthew Vines has also put together the, Re the Reformation Project, um, and you can find that online. Um, John, do you want to mention our next two resources? Sure. So Queer Theology is a resource um, from, that's put together from a uh, bisexual man and a transgender man. Um, one of them is from a Protestant background and one is from uh, a Catholic background. And they have a, a website, queertheology.com. They also have a podcast that is aimed at helping LGBTQ plus individuals find themselves in 
scripture, find their story in the sacred text. Uh, when I came out, I, I mentioned I experienced a lot of ostracism, and um, there were a lot of resources that taught me how to reframe scripture to in, to be open and affirming of my identity. However, it was hard to find those resources that say, this is your journey and this is how you can see it in the text. Another resource that we want to point out is Reconciling Ministries Network. That is the branch arm of the United Methodist Church that advocates for the inclusion of um, uh, gay and bisexual and lesbian individuals to both uh, get married within the church and also to become ordained within the church. Mm -hmm. If you would like to get involved there, you can go to their website and you can sign up to become a reconciling member. Yeah, and I think that's a good example of a group within the United Methodist Church working towards reform. Um, so on this podcast, our hope is that uh, you can find yourself in it. You can find yourself introducing new conversations. Our hope is that we see that our faith goes beyond just our belief, but it actually challenges us to look differently at our society and our world. And as a Methodist church, as we said in the intro, this is who we are, is a group that sees our faith taking action in the world. So one of the best things you can do to help out is by give us a review on iTunes that tells other people to take a listen to the podcast. You can share this with a friend. Uh, on whatever your favorite platform invites you to share with. Uh, we would love to have you visit if you're local as a part of Citrus Church. Uh, but thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. And we'll look forward to seeing you on our next episode. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.